Last week we looked at the end of chapter 11 in which there is a summarization of the covenant renewal that took place at Gilgal. We talked about the importance of Gilgal and uh, the things that had occurred and what an appropriate place it was to come back to renew their commitment to God. In chapter 12, we have the details of what took place that day as they gathered at Gilgal to uh, renew the covenant before the Lord. Just an aside, uh, I always encourage uh, people to uh, use the ESV Study Bible. If you look at the notes on this, they say this occurs uh, later. I don't think that's correct. That's a minority view, uh, and uh, I believe that this is in keeping with the end of chapter 11, and the children of Israel gathered at Gilgal, and uh, this is what took place at that gathering. So this morning we look at the people recognize their sinfulness and failing to trust in the Lord and repent, seeking God's forgiveness and help. So we begin by looking at, first of all, that Samuel reviews his relationship to the people of Israel and vindicates himself. The people had no grounds for rejecting the judges as a whole, as we think about moving from judges in the land of Israel to a kingship. Samuel had given the people a king like they wanted in verse 1. Says so Samuel said to all people, Behold, I have obeyed your voice and all that you have said to me, and have made a king over you. Now, obviously, that was done by ultimately God's direction. We have seen in previous chapters that this isn't something that Samuel did of his own initiative. But the point here is that Samuel went along with it. Samuel acquiesced. Samuel gave to the people what they wanted. He had a listening ear. We know from previous chapters, in particular 1 Samuel chapter 8, that Samuel took it very personally when the people asked for a king to reign over them. He viewed that as a rejection of his own ministry. In 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 6, it reads, But the thing, that is, asking a king, displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. The Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me. So in this rejection, God says, Get over yourself. This isn't really about you. This is about me. They have rejected me. And the implication is, in rejecting me, they're going to reject you. Now, that is a great truth that we need to keep in mind as the people of God, that when uh, people reject God, they reject those that represent him as well. So you can be assured that you're going to run into opposition with those who do not want to acknowledge God's lordship in their life. But as Samuel continues to vindicate himself, Samuel notes that he had been serving the nation for a long time in verse 2. It says, and now behold, the king walks before you, that is the king has now been established, and I am old and gray and behold, my sons are with you. I have walked before you from my youth until this day. So when he talks about walking before them, it means that they had the opportunity to observe his life, but more than simply observe his life, he had been ministering to him from the time that he was a young boy. Uh, God had been using him. And it says that from a child, people knew that he was established to be a prophet. And so he'd been serving God from the time of his youth now into his old age. 
And in his service, Samuel had been faithful to the people and ultimately to the Lord, being free from all wrongdoing. If you look at 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 3, he says, Here I am. Testify against me before the Lord and before his anointed. Whose ox have I taken? Or whose donkey have I taken? Or whom have I defrauded? Whom I have oppressed? Or whom have I taken a bribe to blind my eyes with it? Testify against me, and I will restore it to you. Samuel's behavior stands in stark contrast with the behavior that the future kings are described as entering into in 1 Samuel chapter 8. He wants to say, look, I have done nothing wrong. I've taken nothing from you. I've been a faithful servant. Whereas, in 1 Samuel chapter 8, when he depicts what the kings are going to be like, we emphasized at that particular time that the word that is used over and over is the fact that they're going to take, that they're going to take. Listen again to 1 Samuel chapter 8, starting with verse 11. He said, these will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to be chariots and to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. And he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties, some to plow his ground and to reap his harvest and to make his implement of war and equipment of his chariots. He will take of your daughters to be performers, perfumers, and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards, olive orchards, and give them to his servants. He will take the tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and give it to his officers and to his servants. He will take your male servants and female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and put them to his work. They're going to take. They're going to take. And Samuel says, what have I taken from you? How have I stolen from you? How have I defrauded you in any way? Well, the people agree with Samuel's assessment that Samuel had been free from all wrongdoing in verse 4. They said, you have not defrauded us or oppressed us or taken anything from man's hand. So Samuel, this is not about you. Uh, This is not a rejection of your ministry. You have been faithful. The implication is that the people were not justified in refusing a judge and wanting a king, even on a human level. There was no reason for them to want to move to a new form of government, a new kind of leadership. Samuel's saying is, what's wrong with the leadership you now have? Nothing is what he is saying. Uh, I've been faithful. I haven't defrauded you. What's the problem here? Why are you wanting a king? He is calling the people for judgment and says that God and Saul will find in favor of Samuel. Verse 5, he said to them, The Lord is witness against you and is anointed, which is Saul, as Saul had now been anointed king. So the Lord is witness against you. Saul is witness against you this day that you have found nothing in my hand. And once again, the people agree at the end of verse 5. And they said, he is witness. Yes, may God hold this to our account. You are free of all wrongdoing. You have not failed us. You have not been unfaithful. You have not been a detriment to uh, the covenant. 
So, the application, as we think about this passage, again, when people are not right with God, they will reject the ministry of the people of God. Uh, But nonetheless, no matter what people's view is of us, no matter what the situation we encounter in life, we must remain faithful to God regardless if other people are faithful or not. Here the nation is wandering from God to the point where they are rejecting God and say, give us a king. But that doesn't dissuade Samuel from his own personal faithfulness and the carrying out of his duties in his service for God. And there's a a tremendous lesson there to be lived and to be uh, followed in each of our lives. Uh, It doesn't matter what people are doing around about us. It doesn't matter what's happening in other churches. It doesn't matter what's happening in other cities. It doesn't matter what's happening in other families. It doesn't matter what's happening with our friends our neighbors, we need to remain faithful to God, even when people don't appreciate it, even when people are tending to reject it. We need to remain faithful to God. And having said that, we always need to remember, but it's not all about us. Uh, Service for God is not about us. Service for God is about God. And so now, the topic changes very abruptly but very appropriately, because he's going to say, you not only have you found fault with me, but more importantly, you have found fault with God. And just as I have been faultless in the exercise of my duties and my responsibilities, certainly God is faultless in his care, in his provision for you. You have no excuse, he says to the people of Israel, for your having desire of a king rather than God reigning over you. So, our second point is that it's much more serious. The people's rejection of God is their king. Samuel makes his case against the people, that they are guilty of a great sin in rejecting God as their king. If you look at verse 12, it says, And when you saw that Nahash, the king of the Ammonites, came against you, you said to me, No, but a king shall reign over us. When the Lord your God was your king. You already had a king but you wanted an earthly king. And so the application comes down in verse 17. Is not the wheat harvest today, I will call upon the Lord that he may send thunder and rain, and now these words, and you shall know and see that your wickedness is great, which you have done in the sight of the Lord, in asking yourselves a king. Your wickedness is great. Your wickedness is great. Why is their wickedness great? Well, Samuel puts them on trial and vindicates God. Starting with verse 6. Samuel said to the people, The Lord is witness who appointed Moses and Aaron and brought your fathers up out of the land of Egypt. Now therefore stand still that I may plead with you before the Lord. Uh, That aspect of to plead is really the role of a prosecuting attorney. (laughs) Let me make the case as we assemble here before God. And the case is that the Lord 
has been righteous in all his deeds that he performed for you and your fathers. God has not failed his people. God has acted appropriately at the end of verse 7. Now therefore stand still that I may plead with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous deeds of the Lord that he performed for you and your fathers. In time past, the fathers had cried out to God in the time of adversity and hardship and difficulty. If you look at 1 Samuel 12, verse 8, it says, When Jacob went into Egypt and the Egyptians oppressed them, then your fathers cried out to the Lord. That's what your fathers did in times of hardship and difficulty. They cried out to the Lord. Verse 10 well, let's read verse 9 for the context. But they forgot the Lord their God, and he sold them into the hand of Sisera, the man of the army of Hazor, into the hand of the Philistines, and into the hand of the king of Moab, and they fought against them. And now these words once again. And they cried out to the Lord and said, We have sinned. Then verse 11. The Lord sent Drubbable and Barak and Jephthah and Samuel and delivered you out of the hand of your enemies on every side, and you lived in safety. When Jacob went into Egypt, and the Egyptians oppressed them, then they cried out. Then they cried out. The point is, your fathers, in time of adversity, cried out to the Lord. What did you do when Nahash came against you? You didn't cry out to the Lord. Instead, you said, give us a king to reign over us. You didn't ask for God's help. You asked for earthly help. The Lord had responded in faithfulness every time that his people cried out to the Lord. If you look at verse 8, when Jacob went into Egypt and Egyptians oppressed them, then your fathers cried out to the Lord, and notice the Lord's response, and the Lord sent Moses and Aaron and brought forth your fathers out of Egypt. God had provided. God had raised up individuals to lead you and direct you to be the spiritual leaders. And he worked through them and used them to bring about a deliverance. Jumping down to verse 10. And they cried out to the Lord and said, We have sinned because we have forsaken the Lord and served the Baals and the Astaroths. But now deliver us out of the hand of our enemies that we may serve you. They cried out to the Lord and notice his response in verse 11. And the Lord sent Drubbable and Barak and Jephthah and Samuel. Now, if you notice, all of those individuals were judges, and their stories can be found in the book of Judges, except for Samuel's story, which is here. So it brings us right up to the current time in nation's history. Samuel says, God raised up judges, Drubbable, Barak, Jephthah, and myself, and delivered you out of the hand of your enemies on every side. You have experienced God's deliverance in the past. Why in the world would you reject it? Why would you not see God's provision and care and mercy to you? Why now are you rejecting the Lord? Think back of all the times that the people cried out that they had rejected the Lord and things went terribly wrong for them. And then God blessed them. For the pattern was that the people 
repeatedly abandoned God despite his faithfulness. If you look at verse 9, but they forgot the Lord their God. They forgot the Lord their God. Now, once again, the people of Israel have abandoned their God, and instead of crying out to the Lord in times past, they reject the Lord and demand a king in verse 12. And when you saw that Nahash, the king of the Ammonites, came against you, you said to me, no, but a king shall reign over us when the Lord God was your king. Now we find the Lord gave the people a king as the Lord had given leaders in the past, verse 13. And now behold the king whom you have chosen for whom you have asked. Behold, the Lord has set a king over you. So God has given you what you have requested. You wanted an earthly king. So God set a king over you. This is what God had done. Saul was God's choice even though it was in keeping with what the people wanted. But now the exhortation is that both the people and king need to be faithful to the Lord. Verse 14, if you will fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, and if both you and the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God, it will be well. It will be well. But it's conditioned on the obedience of the people and the king. The renewal of the covenant is a reminder that the king is not a true sovereign. We talked in weeks past how the nations around about them worshipped their kings. They viewed their kings as deity. They viewed their kings as God. That will not be the role of a king in Israel. God is God. There is no other. And the king cannot do anything that he wants. The king must be subservient to God, even as the people are subservient to God. Without faithfulness to the Lord, things will not go well, verse 14. And if both you and the king who reigns over you will forsake the Lord, your God, uh, excuse me, if both you and the king who reigns over you will follow Lord, your God will be well. But without faithfulness to the Lord, they're going to suffer judgment. Verse 15. But if you do not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you and your king. The idea that the king can guarantee security for the nation is a flawed idea. They had put their confidence in an earthly king. He is going to save us. He is going to deliver us. And Samuel reminds them, no, no, he's not. And if you're only going to be looking to him, you're going to be in trouble. You're going to be swept away. You are going to be defeated. Your king and you must remain faithful to the Lord. Your ultimate confidence must be in him. The king is clearly under God's authority. Now having made that statement, we now have a demonstration of God's authority. That he can do what no earthly king can do. God's judgment is unavoidable. This aspect that it will not go well with you. Now there is a sign, a demonstration to drive that point home. God demonstrates his power to bring judgment to show his power, God will do the unusual in sending rain during the harvest season. 
1 Samuel chapter 12, verses 16 and 17. Now therefore stand still and see this great thing that the Lord will do before your eyes. Is it not wheat harvest today? I will call upon the Lord that he may send thunder and rain, and you shall know and see that your wickedness is great. The point is that this was the dry season. This was the time of harvest. It was not the time for rain. There was a rainy season in Israel. This was not it. Proverbs chapter 26, verse 1 says, Like snow in summer or rain in harvest, honor is not fitting for a fool. It is not time for there to be rain when it's the harvest season, but yet God is going to send rain. Demonstrating the fact that all of their work, all of their, their labors, all of their produce, all of their security, all of their wealth, as they look forward to this great harvest, can be brought to nothing just like that. God can send a rain and bring destruction of crops, bring hardship when it's not anticipated. So they remain faithful and trust in the Lord. The purpose of the display of the power is to bring conviction to the people in failing to trust in the Lord, the end of verse 17. And you shall know and see that your wickedness is great, which you have done in the sight of the Lord in asking for yourselves a king. So he announces what he's going to do. He announces what the effect will be. And then he calls upon the Lord, verse 18. So Samuel called upon the Lord what he's been encouraging them to do all along, crying out to the Lord. So Samuel called upon the Lord, and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day. And all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel, just as Samuel said that they would. At long last, the people repent of their sinfulness of asking for a king. I say at long last. Remember, we went through 1 Samuel chapter 8, chapter 9, chapter 10, chapter 11. We're finally into chapter 12. We have years that have passed. We have numerous gatherings that have taken place. And we had the habitual proclamation of Samuel that they had sinned in asking for a king. But they had been unrepentant. They had been unwilling to acknowledge their sinfulness. They were not willing to submit to what God's word had said. But now, they do. Now they're ready to renew this covenant, this commitment to the Lord. Verse 19. And all the people said to Samuel, pray for your servants to the Lord your God that we may not die for we have added to all our sins this evil to ask for ourselves a king. So Samuel's first response is to comfort the people. Samuel said to the people, verse 20, do not be afraid. You have done all this evil. Don't be afraid, because God is going to forgive. God is going to welcome you back. God will watch over you. However, the repentance cannot just be a momentary contriteness. Verse 20, Samuel said to the people, Do not be afraid, you have done this evil, yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. And do not turn aside after empty things that cannot profit or deliver, or they are empty. You know, there is so often a short-lived repentance. There is a time of conviction that people enter into when they know that what they've done is wrong and they say, I'm going to turn over a new leaf and that uh, lasts for six hours or a day or two or maybe a week or even a month. And people are right back to their old ways. Paul, uh, here Samuel is saying, 
to the people of Israel, this has to be real. This has to be heartfelt. This has to be carried through. You need to follow on in this commitment. This isn't just a a one-moment, one-time commitment to the Lord. This is a daily commitment that is being renewed. Uh, You know, I, I don't do altar calls hardly ever in which I'm asking people to come forward and dedicate their lives to the Lord. And the reason I do that is theological in nature because you can't do that just once and done. Uh, I'm not against people coming forward and dedicating their lives, but the reality is you've got to dedicate and you have to dedicate and you have to rededicate and you have to make a commitment that's new every morning. We can't make a once-in-a-lifetime commitment to the Lord that just covers you for the rest of your life. It's a new challenge each day. And so he's saying, now you must walk with the Lord. You must follow him. God will remain faithful even when his people do not for his own name's sake. Look at verse 22. The Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake. You can be assured that God is going to forgive you because he's going to remain faithful to the covenant even if you don't. He says to the people. You have no reason to reject God and yet you have God has every reason to reject you and yet he has not God is faithful if for no other reason his own name his own word he is going to keep his word he is going to keep his promises he will not let the unfaithfulness of his people render him unfaithful We talked about how it's so important that we don't let the unfaithful people around us affect our faithfulness to the Lord. How much more for God? And so God honors and glorifies his name by remaining faithful to his word. Which means that Samuel remained faithful to God and to God's people. Samuel will remain faithful in exercising his his duties before God. Verse 23, Moreover, as for me, be it far from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. Samuel recognizes first and foremost that his ultimate accountability is to God. It's not to people. It's to God. You know, I, I think that's really important for us to understand. Uh, we live in a, a day and age in which uh, it's uh, rather, rather faddish uh, to have accountability partners, to have people that are going to hold us accountable. We're going to make a commitment, and then we have somebody that we're going to meet with, and, and uh, they're going to ask us how we're doing, and, and are we being faithful? I'm not saying that that's completely wrong, but I'll tell you that our ultimate accountability partner is God. He's the one that ultimately we're accountable to. And he's also the one that can give us the greatest help and the greatest encouragement. (laughs) If we're failing, that's who we should go to and say, Lord, I'm failing. I need your help. I need your strength. I need your encouragement. I need your spirit to strive with me. Samuel says, I will not sin by ceasing to pray for you. You've rejected me. That's okay. I'm still going to be praying for you. I'm still going to be faithful to God. And he's going to be remaining faithful to God 
by remaining faithful to his people. Verse 23, and I will instruct you in the good and the right way. Uh, he's not going to abandon the truth. He's not going to mince his words. He's going to continue to go on and tell them what God has revealed to him, and he's going to teach them the right way. But notice that the primary motivation for Samuel's faithfulness to the people is his faithfulness to the Lord. That's what keeps us going when people say nasty things, when people reject us, when people don't appreciate what we are doing. And, and you get to the point where you say, well, why should, I, why should I bother? Why should I keep on? Nobody appreciates it anyway. No one has thanked me. No one has done this or done that. What's the antidote to that? It doesn't matter. Our ultimate goal is to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. It's God's approval, ultimately, that we should be seeking. And if what we are seeking ultimately is God's approval, then it doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter if we don't get people's approval. It's a great salve, a tremendous ointment, a balm in Gilead, as it were, to know that God approves of what we're doing. And now the final exhortation. The people ought to remain faithful to God. 1 Samuel 12, 24 and 25. Only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. For consider what great things he has done for you. But if you still do wickedly, you shall be swept away, both you and your king, because God is true to his word. God says that's what will occur. And it will occur in order to bring people back. God brings discipline into the life of those that wander from him in order to once again bring them back, that once again they would cry out to him. So God in his great goodness and kindness and mercy is faithful with the children of Israel and once again brings them back to a place of renewal, of commitment to the Lord. So some concluding takeaways. First, we must guard against replacing our confidence in the Lord with something that is empty and meaningless. Uh, there are so many things out there that are tempting to put our confidence in, whether that be wealth or whether that be in another person or whether that be in some kind of program or whether that be in you name it, uh, that uh, we can begin to, to think that we need this in, in order to guarantee our Security, to guarantee our protection. The ultimate protection and security is in God. God is faithful and always will be, for he is zealous to preserve his name. He will not bring disgrace to himself. God is not a man that he should lie. God will always forgive his people when we sincerely repent. One of the great joys of a pastorate is to be able to say to people, it's never too late. It's never too late. Doesn't wipe away all the scars, but there can be healing for sin. No matter when we come, no matter how late in life, no matter how 
resistant and hard we have been. No matter how many times we heard the gospel and said no. Or as a believer, we've heard messages and we've let them just roll off our back. And we continue in a wayward and sinful manner. Repentance for those that are sincere is offered by a faithful God. However, that repentance should not be short-lived. Lastly, as God's people, we must remain faithful to God and his people even when God's people have not remained faithful to God and to us. This must be a personal thing between you and the Lord, between me and the Lord. We're going to be faithful. No matter what anyone else does, no matter what anyone else says, you need to make that commitment. You need to make that commitment in your marriage. Despite what my spouse does, I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to be committed. It's to the Lord that I'm responsible. Faithfulness to God is seen in our praying for others. Samuel said, I will not sin by seeking to cease to pray for you. Not only did he see it as a privilege and a duty, but Samuel saw it as a sinfulness on his part if he hadn't prayed for his people. Wow. A responsibility to pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Pray for our Sunday school classes, as Sunday school teachers. Pray as leaders of the church for the people of God. Pray as parents for our children. Pray. In God's grace, he will use our patience and he will use the word of God to bring other people to repentance. Listen to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24. Paul admonishes Timothy and says, The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. It's not our persuasive powers. It's God. It's not that we get red in the face and angered and we shout at people. It's God that brings about repentance. We need to be patient. Not just with people, with God. Patiently waiting for God to work. God brought about this renewal. God sent the rain. And Samuel said, and when he does, you will see. And he does, and they saw. Samuel believed in the power of God. We need to believe in the power of God that grants repentance. That individual that you would so much like to just grab them by the throat and choke them because they just won't listen. And you get so upset because you see the harm that they're bringing to themselves and to others. And you would just like to shake them. Remember, the only thing you can do is pray. But when I say that, that's not a last resort. That's a first resort. 
That's everything you can do. Choking and shaking will be meaningless. But the grace of God can bring repentance. Pray, pray for those who are not walking with the Lord. He can bring about repentance. Let's pray. Almighty God, we pray for any that might be here today, watching or in person, who stand in need of repentance, who are very much aware of sin that is present in their life that they have just stubbornly held on to and have rejected and refused to submit to your authority in any particular area of life. I, I pray that today would be that day of renewal for them. Lord, uh, especially those that are really walking far from you, that uh, are living lives that are, are quite wayward. Uh, Lord, we ask for repentance. We ask that we would not sin in failing to pray for our loved ones and those for whom we have authority and responsibility. Lord, uh, may we not become exasperated, but may we be patient, may we be kind, and may we never lose sight of the power of God. May we never give up. But Lord, help us to be a people of faithfulness, even as Samuel. And even when people reject us, even perhaps even our own children might turn their backs upon us as we've been trying to be faithfully encouraging and helping them in the things of the Lord. Lord, grant grace and strength to those parents not to reject those children in return, but to realize that ultimately they're rejecting not them, but the Lord. And when they get right with the Lord, they'll get right with their parents. Give us faith in you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.